training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Welcome back to the Pendola Project. This is your host, Matt Pendola. And I am Jake Parker here with episode 51. Matt, we're going to talk more about people's questions, things like, can you exercise without a gym, do different body types, have to train differently, emailed from you to pendolaproject at gmail.com. Matt, I would ask how your week's going, but I already have a clue. You have some exciting news. Tell me, what is going on out in the Pendola world, Matt? Yeah, Jake. Well, my client, Chad Belding, he has the foul life. He was interviewed on our podcast, episode five, you That's said. right. Yeah. Way throwback. Yeah. Listen to that. I'm really motivating interview. And uh, Chad is a guy that just gets it done. He has his reality show. And of course he has banded. He has, well, he has so many irons in the fire. I just can't even keep up with that guy. He's got a lot going on, man. And he is an activator. He, like you said, just gets it done. Yeah. He likes to be the example for sure. And he's a motivator and, um, you know, he's a provider. That's his motto. He wants to be a provider for his culture. And, um, he's got a great, this life ain't for everybody podcast, which I will actually be on this coming week as well. So I'll give you guys the info on that so you can listen in. But Jake, he was, I think, one of my very first original clients that uh, I've been working with now for many, many years. I've, I've known this man throughout his ups and downs, and he's created a real legacy for himself. He just does not give up, does not, does not, does not give up on himself or others. And so I'm just super proud of him and happy for him. But he was interviewed with Muscle and Fitness Magazine, and the writer actually gave me a call, talked about Chad's progressions. This was all for his duck hunting season and his reality show. And what kind of health and fitness goals does he have for his season and why? And so we had a great conversation about that. And of course, I ended up writing up a program for Chad that they're putting into this article that Chad has followed for his hunting season. So a good strength and conditioning program that they use there. And uh, I'll let you guys know when it's out. Yeah, congratulations, man, to you and to Chad. You guys both work so hard, and I know Chad's very dedicated to his program and for his hunting seasons and all of that. So well done, and I can't wait to read it. Yeah, Jake, I got to check that off my bucket list. I tell you, when I was a uh, young trainer, I I never imagined that I'd have a quote coming out in Muscle and Fitness. It's It's been such a great journey, and I'm very fortunate to have loyal clients like Chad, and I would say he's a friend as much as a client at this point, but I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that um, my clients have given me, and, and Chad is really deserving So I just wanted to say before we get into today's podcast that we are doing our best to answer the questions that come into us. Sometimes these questions are pretty generalized, and so we're making some assumptions. And you know what happens, Jake, when we assume things. Oh, you sound like my dad. But that being said, we do our best, and I'm going to put it with a caveat that whatever that I answer or that uh, Jake talks about, we are 
always open to the interpretation and understand there's gray areas and that we can be wrong. I was telling you before this podcast today, Jake, that I just learned another lesson, and this was recently as a coach, I feel like I can categorize my athletes pretty well with, for example, are they meant more for longer distance races versus shorter distance? I look at things like the fatigue index. And and I had an athlete that told me that he was a shorter distance runner. And I really thought that he'd be a longer distance runner in my mind, the way that he ran his gait, his rating, et cetera. And I tell you what, thankfully, at least over time, I have learned that it's not my why, it's his why, and I'm there to serve that. So I trained him and coached him for those shorter distances. And you know what? He was right. Nice. So keep in mind that no matter what we talk about here, it's with the best of intentions, but we can always realize that there's a better answer out there. We're always striving to understand the why behind all of these answers and become better coaches to serve you better. So this may be something that evolves over time, but I don't believe that any of the answers we give are completely wrong or completely change because these are answers that are backed by science and experience. And if you have an example of something that isn't quite matching up with what we say, we want to hear from you too. That's what the email and socials are for, pendolaproject at gmail.com. And now, on to episode 51, answering your questions. Yes, we are back with episode 51. If you were here last Wednesday, we started answering some of the more commonly asked questions that Matt and I get all the time. And we're going to keep that up today because, Matt, there are a lot of them. We kind of just compiled this list over time and we've got a lot of things to get to because people have a lot of questions and they seem to be asking the same ones over and over. Yeah, there's a lot of fitness myths out there. The old fitness foobars, Jake. Oh, yeah, I love that foobar, but... People are just doing it and they just get this advice and they don't even know what it means, but they perpetuate it. And then maybe by happenstance, something works for them. And so they tell their friends and now all of a sudden everybody's confused. Well, I get it. It's partially why we want to go over these things because it's my job to know and to research and to also implement and find out what works in the real world versus what's in the books or just what's in the bro science side of things too. So We don't want to have that lab coat training. At the same time, we want to have some science behind our training. So it's about meeting it in the middle oftentimes and just not having that type of influence either way. There are no absolutes. I think that's also a part, a lesson in life really for many things, but there's no absolutes in training either. So as soon as you start hearing something that sounds like an absolute and it sounds like this is always going to be the best way to do something regardless of who you are or you know that's that may be um, true in some circumstances but oftentimes we need to be careful when there's a magical solution for all of us and and I think that that's where we have to debunk some of these myths yeah if it's being stated as absolutely true or necessarily true then I'm typically kind of yeah, I kind of stay away from that because, okay, man, maybe for you, but maybe not for me. So Matt, shall we get started? One of the first ones that I wanted to talk about today is one that is near and dear to my heart because I think for me, the answer is yes, but you may have a different answer. Can I exercise without a gym? And I'm 
Like, well, yeah. Yeah, you, you certainly can. There's And it can actually be really valuable to have that in your plan from time to time. You may not have access to a gym or it may be something that doesn't fit into your schedule for a while. So putting in a training progression that is gym-free can actually be a good thing and a welcome change at times. I know there's short periods of time where I may do something like that. Of course, having my own gym, people assume that that means that I can just do whatever I want when I want. No, it's the opposite because obviously when I go to the gym, that is work. That's where I work. And I can't always put in the training session I want to for me. And it's what I signed up for. But if I'm going to focus on a better training session, sometimes that means I'm better off not being in the gym. Absolutely, because you always need a break. And if you're there all day and now it's finally your turn, maybe you don't feel like it anymore. And so you have to go switch up your setting. And that's one of the things that I think is helpful with when I hear, can I exercise without a gym? My mind goes to outside. Like I, I love going and finding somewhere, even if you're just like on a walk, like here in Reno, we've got lots of river pathways and parks and places that have a little bit of like jungle gym type equipment. And you got to be a little careful with that because you don't want to look like the weirdo who's got his shirt off at the park. But yeah, can you do a couple pushups and some pull-ups while you're on a hike? I do. <laughs> you know what guy I'm talking about. You don't want to be that guy. Yeah, Jake, I think that today is a good example. Instead of being inside, my client and I went out to a hill to do repeats. And for him in particular, we wanted to actually be on dirt. So he has to increase his cadence. And that's also something that's inspiring for him to be on that hill, be outside. For most of us, I think we'd rather be outside. So when we can, let's do that. Why should we be on that treadmill inside? And actually, that's a particular case where I think that the actual hill outside is way more productive than being inside on that treadmill, even though the treadmill is very predictable. Yeah, the treadmill for me is more of a fallback. Like if it's icy and snowy and cold outside, then okay, I guess I'll run on the treadmill today. But usually I like to get outside. But my mind goes also to uh, the TRX. And I don't know if that counts as without a gym because it is a gym tool, but you can take a TRX and, you know, strap it to a tree if you want and go outside and do some stuff in the park. It's all it's all body weight. And I, I enjoy that style of working out. But my problem with the question is... Can you exercise without a gym? Yes, you, you absolutely can, but you are limited and your your options are not going to be as multiple as inside a gym because there you have all of these different types of weights and different ways to use them and pulley system and bands and cones, all, all the normal gym things, but outside you really are just limited to your environment and that is harder to control. It's not impossible and I, I like to shake it up that way, but if you're asking this question thinking you're never going to go inside a gym, just realize that you will be limited. Accessibility is part of that option, and I like what you're saying there. Just you might get burnt out doing the same old thing I was telling you before. There's only so many push-ups I can do, and then I have to add some variety. So I just don't get bored, and that's a part of it. We just want to have maybe the bands to do some press work with. We want to use the dumbbells at times. We can use both in the same session. We can do those things a little bit easier. It's more accessible in the gym. 
for the most part, that accessibility is why we use the treadmill. Right. There are like the Woodway, for example, I have in my facility. That's the curvy one? Yeah, that's yeah. the Woodway curve, exactly. And that's something that I do think is a valuable tool. But there's times where I like to use that woodway for some variety. And also, let's say it's snowy out or just colder than we really, it's no fun being out right. there. And we, So let's go ahead and use the curve that day. The curve is a tough training session. We can make it a tough training session that way, or we can even make it more of a skill set type of training session if we'd like to. Or with the regular treadmill, let's say I have a soccer player who's actually doing some agility work on the treadmill and they're reacting to the ground moving underneath them with that treadmill that is that makes it kind of interesting and fun and they actually look forward to doing that as opposed to somebody trying to let's say do some hill sprints on a treadmill yes it's accessible you can put it at a predicted speed in general i like to do both i like to get some training sessions in outside and of course, these tend to be more of the sort of cardiovascular stressed or quality training sessions versus the quality training sessions I'm trying to get inside in the gym for strength training. So in general, I will get in more strength in the gym and in general, more of the cardio done outside. And when your options are limited, maybe you don't have a gym membership or access, whatever your case may be, I would just pay particular attention to the things that you gravitate toward and make sure that you are balancing. Because when I think of outside body weight strength exercises versus inside a gym, I'm much more limited. I'm going to gravitate to things like lunges, push-ups, and pull-ups. And if those three strength moves are all you do, no, that's not really going to be a well-rounded program for you. You have got to make sure that you're getting every muscle group's antagonists. You know, if you're really quad dominant, you've got to find ways to work your glutes more. And that is simply easier to figure out inside a gym with equipment. Oh man, Jake, talk about somebody who is quad dominant, for example, they may have glute amnesia. We kind of joke around and say that uh, they just can't fire their glute or Obviously, they can, but they have difficulty feeling their glute fire. So one of the best things is to just do that hip thrust, that glute hip thrust. I think we talked about last week, and um, that can be a selection of exercises that we can use. We can create a little bit more chaos, especially in a more controlled environment in the gym where we can get down on the ground and hit something like that or use a bench to, to hit that hip extension with the outdoors, like you said, we might just be doing, you know, some body weight froggers are good and some lunges, but we may not be able to specify or to work as much in that specificity as we can in the gym. And it is possible. I mean, for every everything I say, there are exceptions where you can figure it out, but I think it's a little bit easier in the gym. So what you just said, though, reminds me of an athlete I was working with that was doing exactly that, doing a lot of body weight work, and it was good work, but it tended to be more quad dominant, mm -hmm. more front loaded. Those type of exercises are just easier to do with body weight 
out in the field, out on the soccer field, et cetera. And those are things that she was doing a lot of. And we, she basically wasn't getting down, for example, on the ground to really get in some good bridge work and things like this because the field was muddy and there, it wasn't always very convenient to lay down. So, you know, these type of things, I get it, but that means that being in the gym is going to offer you some opportunities that you don't normally have out on the field. Plus, sometimes you don't want to look silly. And when you're outside in public, you run the risk of somebody saying, that looks weird. Yeah, of course, you, it, you can run the risk of looking weird in the in a gym, That's too. That's a good point, Matt. Right? But you know, at, at a certain point, I think you just decide that you're going to do what's right for you. Let's sum up this question, though. Can we train outside of the gym? Of course we can. Do we like to use the gym? Well, I think that it offers some variety. And there are, of course, some things that we can do in the gym that we can only do in the gym and then vice versa. I, you know, th- These are great things to keep in mind, but I think it boils down to, are you motivated? Are you excited to get your session in? If you're starting to lose some of your motivation, then get some variety in there, get outside or get into maybe a class even in a gym that is motivating to you that you've missed for a while because you've been outside. It just depends on you and what you're looking forward to doing. I think that that motivation is fleeting though. So have that why and um, remember, it's yes, you can get more and more advanced with calisthenics. Obviously, look at gymnastics and things like this, where this is the most elite athletes in the world that really focus on advanced, advanced calisthenics. So, yeah, you can keep working in that direction for sure. But I think with a lot of people to keep their motivation up and to keep their why strong, they probably need a little bit more variety than just body weight or just bands. And so that's when it is nice to hit the dumbbells, to even use machines at times, things like that. But for me, I'm gonna always look forward to running out in those mountains. Same, and I love the outdoors, but if I was limited to never being allowed to go into a gym again, man, I would get bored pretty quickly. So that sums it up pretty well, I think. Moving on to the next one on this here list. If I lift weights, will I get bigger muscles? Matt, if only it were that simple. Yeah. So yeah, Jake, the answer is yes and no. Muscles can get bigger. And also, depending on the stress, but also the nutrition and the recovery, all these things that we are focused on, but also on what kind of response you have, well, that also depends a little bit on your parents, right? Like, do we grow muscle very easily? Is this part of our genetics? Are we more of a hard gainer, quote unquote? I think that a lot of female athletes out there listening, they're afraid that they're going to get too big. I think that's really what the question is probably. That's usually the context that I hear it in is, is from women who are just concerned when they see their friends or someone else, or they're afraid of the weights because they say, Oh, I don't want to get bulky. Yeah. So we're going to delve into this a little bit more so we can explain it better. But I would, the short answer is the people who are afraid of getting their muscles too big, no. This, it's very intentional when you are actually getting your muscles to get bigger and to grow more. Very intentional. Yeah, I, if it was a, that easy, I would have done it by now. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat where there was plenty of times where I was trying to get bigger, right? And and I just you know would hit these plateaus. It was very difficult to get any bigger. And uh, after my marathoning days, man, I mean, I remember I trained so hard for the entire year after I was done running and just strength training, strength training, strength training. And I didn't quite, I mean, I certainly didn't know then what I know now. And unfortunately I was spending more money on supplements than on good food, for example. So I just wasn't getting in enough calories and I wasn't growing as much as I really wanted to or, or should have been able to grow those muscles. So uh, my intention was there, but I didn't have the knowledge to do it. And I remember my sister was saying, I thought you said you've been working out. Oh, that's hurt. That hurts. That hurts so bad. <laughs> and I was really, I was really proud of all of the dedication I had put in every, into everything. And I came home to visit, and uh, that was the response I got instead of "Wow, you know, you look great." And mm -hmm. I, I really thought that I had made a noticeable change, but apparently not. So there's always that. And then, of course, the more that I learned, the more I was able to start to actually grow that muscle. But it it took some real effort, and also I had to be able to get some answers for that effort to be able to recover, respond, repair, and grow those muscles, but very intentional. And I would say that for most females out there listening, it's even more so that way. So is it fair to say, Matt, and this is really a question for you, that it has a lot to do with the change in your caloric intake? Like if you start to lift weights more, let's say you're someone who doesn't really lift weights and you start to, and now all of a sudden you're, you're a little hungrier and you're eating a lot more. I think that is more correlated with gaining size rather than I simply am lifting more heavier weights now. Yeah, it's it's certainly more about what you are fueling yourself with, or I should say how much right. calories in versus calories out. So it comes down to that. And then also, for example, if I have a obvious, we'll say a female 10,000 meter runner that I'm working with, if she puts on a pound or two of muscle, that's a lot and it doesn't happen easily. Also, because she's doing so much running, she's burning a lot of calories. So replacing those calories is really just even breaking even can be hard to do. So on top of it, to create such a surplus that you can gain a pound of muscle, that's, you know, that's, that's really difficult to do. And it can be done. And sometimes I would say that it needs to be done, but it's very intentional. So a lot of my female athletes over time, they're going to put on a pound or two or three of muscle. That's about it though. And, and those pounds of muscle are helping them with their relative strength, their mass specific force. In other words, they're going to run faster because of it. So to sum this up, I would just say that whether or not I have a male or female athlete that gains muscle, it's very intentional. And that is the why, that is the purpose for them doing that. And I think that's a great segue into another topic. This is asked all the time, and I get this a lot too, because I exercise with different friends of mine. And the question is, do men and women or just different body types need to train differently? And the way that I see this all the time is like, let's say I have a female friend of mine who's going to come to the gym with me, wants to just get a workout in. Great. She will usually separate 
and she'll go over to the the cardio equipment and i'm over in the gym or the the weight floor and i'm like you don't you don't have to go over there you're welcome to come over here too yeah so men tend to uh especially work on their upper bodies too and oh yeah if women are gonna do their strength training it's gonna be their lower body a little bit more so jake let's just start off first with where did these body types come from in the first place who started all this? Yeah, so this is from like the mid 20th century, I think the 1940s or so, a guy named William Herbert Sheldon. And he first categorized people based on their physique. I think it was three categories, Matt. It was uh, ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph. And the ectomorph, that would be like the thinner marathon looking guy. And mesomorph, it's some people call it the muscle morph. It's just like it sounds like you're your quarterback, something like that. And then endomorph would be a little bit more your linebacker, shot putter, somebody like that. So these are the three different body types, but they also get confused a lot of times. For example, not every single person is just going to be one category. In fact, most people are not. So there's sort of a rating or a system where maybe somebody on a rating scale of one to 10 might be, let's say a three on the ectomorph scale and a seven on the mesomorph scale and like a two on the endomorph, you know, something like that. So in other words, they were a seven on the mesomorph scale, which basically means that having a little bit more muscle, a little bit easier of time gaining muscle or just, you know, you know, those people walk around when they're still a kid and they've never picked up a weight, Yeah, but they look like a mini Schwarzenegger. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's, that's kind of that type. And if, in fact, you know, with bodybuilders, for example, a lot of them before they ever started competitively, before they ever started any serious weight training, they always had sort of that gift, if you will, genetically. And people always thought that they were training before they actually were. And then of course, once they do get to that highest level and they start taking gear and then people say, oh yeah, you wouldn't look like that without gear. Well actually he got most of that way probably without the gear and then the gear gets them the extra five percent or something that they needed right yeah simply because at that point everybody else is also gifted with those kinds of genetics and i guess you need something to differentiate yourself in that kind of a field whereas myself i think i'm somewhere more in between the mesomorph and the endomorph my body does have more of a tendency to store fat if i give it to it and i think the takeaway is that i just had to learn that that was how my body reacted to stimulus and i work with it okay so the question might be is this real? The body types real. We're talking about different types of body types and there's people on both sides of the fence for sure. And people I respect on both sides of the fence. And the fact of the matter is, look, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, where there's a stereotype, there's probably a reason for it. So I don't know how stuck I am on body types. Okay. It's just that there are certain people that are designed a little bit more for endurance, for example. And so I love to bring this up as just a good, I think, reason why you see leaner people who are really good at the marathon. 
do you run to get fit or do you get fit to run? And of course, what's the answer, Jake? Well, we know the answer is that you get fit to run. You get fit first. But I do know the type though, Matt. There are some people who seem like they were just born to run. Well, yeah, they're born to run and they can usually, they have the springs and they usually have those attributes. And just like we talked about before with the bodybuilders, it wasn't the the gear in that last 5% of their physique. It was the fact that they had the attributes to grow that kind of muscle. I mean, I could spend my entire life working out in the gym, putting in all of these even smarter training sessions, okay? And I could eat all the right foods and do all the right things. And then I could even take the gear and I'm never going to look like one of those guys on the stage. Just not in the cards? Not what I was designed for. So with more of that leaner endurance body type, whether or not you want to call it ectomorph or whatever you want to call it, okay? That is what I was more designed to do on that scale. Although my body can grow muscle a little bit better than other guys like Kipchoge or a a, a really, really high-end elite marathoner. So that also means that I was not really born to run an elite marathon but I wasn't born exactly to be a bodybuilder either, right? So I'm somewhere between those things. And of course, I think that you pick the sport or the goal that goes along a little bit more with your attributes. In other words, you tend to like the things that you're good at and you tend to pay more attention to things that you're good at because you're good at them and then you get better at them. It'll come more naturally and I think if you're paying attention, you'll gravitate toward those things. My dad always wanted me to play baseball because he said I looked like I had the body type for a baseball player. Didn't want to because I wasn't interested, but he was probably right. But back to the question, Matt, do different body types like this need to train differently? And obviously the the question has to include what's what's the training for, what's the goal. But if you have an endomorph training in the same time with a mesomorph, are they going to be doing different things? No. Okay. See, I think that's where people get confused. Yeah, no, there's so much misinformation. Remember a lot of there's programs that are going to sell you programs for female athletes this one's just for you just for you right. programs that are for hard gainers you know the time under tension is time under tension and how much my body can put into that time under tension how much stress i can create in other words how deep into the hole can i get right that's also a part of my reasoning when I am training in a a session. So it's not so much that we need to train differently. I think where the confusion gets to though, Jake, is that if I am out there getting in, let's just say 40 miles a week running because I have a 10K goal that I'm training for, and then I'm spending 60 plus minutes in the gym every time because that's what my buddy's doing and he gets results and I don't, then I think, oh, because I wasn't training right for my body type. No, because he's not out there trying to put in a quality track session on top of the strength training. So he has more energy for the strength training. And because of that, he has also better recovery. He's not 
putting all that extra energy out on the track like I am. And so what is his goal? It may be to gain muscle. So he's doing exactly the right thing. If he wants to gain muscle, he should not go out on that track and try to put in those repeats like I am. But if I am trying to get faster in the 10K, then that's where my focus should be. That is one of my problems with these body type categorization methods is like, yeah, you have your three basic ones, but each one of those three can be broken down by a million other factors. And so things like your buddy who isn't training for the 10K, but you are, you're going to see different things. Maybe you have an endomorph who is gluten intolerant, you know, that changes a lot of things. And so basing yourself off of like, well, this is my body type. Okay. Yeah. But there's more to it. And if you're going to follow that rabbit hole, I think you're just going to end up confusing yourself too much. So keep it simple and just focus on, focus on you. So Jake, with the ectomorph, we talked about how this body type tends to be more geared for endurance, right? And the mesomorph, a little bit more muscle naturally. And then, of course, the endomorph, a little bit more like kind of one rep max type of power. The endomorph, for example, though, can gain a little bit more weight a little easier. And that is actually a good thing for the endomorphs evolution and that they can pick up heavy, heavy stuff, you do need more fat. So the top strong men in the world, I mean, these guys are all 400 pounds and heavier. In fact, um, Eddie Hall, he talked about how he had to get over 400 pounds if he was going to be competitive, Whoa! which is, you know, that's not all going to be muscle. So I could eat and eat and eat and eat and train and train and train and train. And I'm never going to weigh 400 pounds like Eddie Hall. Not, not, not even close, not, not, not even a chance. There's no chance of that for me. And so, whereas with, um, somebody else who's, let's say working really hard to lose weight, but they do have a propensity for gaining fat, we do want to look at how, let's take fat cells, for example, with an endomorph, they do most likely have the additional fat cells that I don't have. I'm not born with that same propensity. And, and also, I would say that it's not a bad thing for that person to be able to put on more mass there's a reason, evolutionary reason, I believe that they were designed that way. So just sticking with this concept that we should probably do the things that we enjoy doing, but if anything is going to be different in our training and our approach, it's gonna be much more, I think, in the kitchen. It's gonna be more about our nutrition to where that endomorph might not be taking in the same amount of fat that I would take in. And I probably want to take in more additional fats because I need it. So it's compared to what, what do you need it for? And of course, what were you more designed to do? And I think keeping these things in mind goes a long ways. So to wrap that one up, I think it's just important to focus on your training. No, you don't need to train quote unquote differently than other body types, but then it's the other peripheral things that you need to 
pay attention to? How much sleep are you getting? What are you eating? And how's your recovery? Those things. All right. So Jake, yeah, when it comes to body types, I don't know how sold I am on labeling these things myself, it, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we understand not everybody is built or designed, I think is a better way to think of it for, let's say that marathon that we talked about before. And I think that that's where the misconceptions are. If I'm out there doing a marathon because I want to lose 40 pounds, and then I think that running a marathon is bad for my knees. No, running the way I ran was bad for my knees. And of course, maybe doing something that I wasn't really designed for, something I pushed myself through mainly because I wanted to lose weight. Oh man, there's just, there's so many better ways to do that and healthier ways for me and my body. And if I'm that endomorph, there's just probably more attention that I need to pay when it comes to my nutritional options and choices and uh, calories in versus calories out. And so I think that it's, that's why it's important to kind of know what your options are and should be. But should you train differently? Well, I think that you should pick a goal that's right for you. But if I'm going to try to gain muscle and I'm realistic about that, but I decide that my progression right now, and I mean me personally, that I want to put on a few pounds of muscle, I just need to be realistic about that because I keep talking about the endurance sports for me and that's where I can shine. But where I can really get disappointed is if I think I'm going to look like the guy in that magazine because I did that guy's training sessions and then I get super disappointed in the outcome. Whereas the reason why I got disappointed is because I wasn't realistic about what I'm training for and what with. And if you have outrageous expectations, like you're going to look like the guy on the cover of the magazine, probably not going to happen. Myself included, Matt, it's never going to happen for me simply because I have the propensity to store fat more than what is allowed on those magazines. Well, yeah. And, you know, my, I've talked about this so many times, but this is guy or girl. We all fall into that, that hole. I mean, it just sucks you in. We all have those times where we wish we looked a little bit more like so-and-so. Oh, yeah. And that's okay to have those feelings. And we just have to have the knowledge to bring us back to reality and what is going to serve us, but not disappoint us. And I'm not saying to settle. So if, you know, when you're listening to this, it's, that's, that's different. If, if you're settling, that's not okay to me either. Don't settle, but just be the best version of you. You can be, but realize when you're actually achieving that. And I think that's a big reason why people end up failing in their goals or their paths to this success because they started off with an ideal that was not appropriate. I like the way you put that, Matt. I view it because I have those days too, where I say, oh, I'm going to try and go more for for this body look or uh, this physique or whatever it is. And I like it to have a goal like, okay, I'm going to work towards this. This is great. Does not mean that I'm not okay with how my body looks right now. 
because I think those two are very, very different. It's okay to have a goal, and I'm, I'm working toward this, but as soon as you get down that rabbit hole of like, oh, man, I, if only I looked like this, all my problems would be solved, and oh, I'm so fat, or whatever it is. Like, no, 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 that's not what we're saying. But, yeah, don't be stagnant, but also don't set yourself up for, uh, for outrageous expectations. Yeah, so, Jake, we're just going to wrap this part up talking about what type of goals that – we have had in the past and I'll start this one off, but doing North Face, as you guys know about, I happen to be talking with one of my runners earlier today, Doug, and and he was saying, man, you got pretty lean for North Face. And yeah, I got pretty efficient for that small window of time and just literally for about a month there, a few weeks where I got pretty lean, even almost gaunt, I would say, but I was able to hold on to my strength or much of it. I did lose some, but I was pretty efficient. I couldn't hold on to it forever though. And then after North Face, I really started to notice um, that I needed to get back to my normal or natural weight. And I don't think that you should necessarily fight that. And the reason why I bring that up is because performance or athletic versus aesthetic type of goals, I think that it's an advantage for me that I understand the difference between what you see in the magazines and then what's out there in real life and especially with athletes. So I think for me, I can hold 7 to 12% body fat year round, and I can kind of hold that naturally with, you know, just good nutrition and training and those obvious things. But there's a point where I'm working too hard and my body is getting a little bit too exhausted, too fatigued. And I don't necessarily want to be in, say, that 7% or just under that. I actually want to reboot and allow my body to maybe build back up and put some extra weight back on or even get back up a little bit higher in body fat. And uh, I think understanding that and not seeing anything wrong with that and realizing that that's a normalization or that's a reboot for my body for the next goal that I'm getting towards is important. So I keep my body strong and healthy and I also keep my mind fresh. I'm not always pushing the envelope. So just a little reminder out there that we are meant to have, well, I would say there's peaks in everybody's uh, goals in their training, but there shouldn't be the high, high, high peaks, right? And the low, 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 low valleys, right? right. Let's, let's try to keep it a little bit more steady and um, not overdo it trying to look like so-and-so or like a picture in a magazine we saw thinking that that's what we need to look like. That's a great way to sum it up, man. I had a similar experience. I wanted to look like the dudes on the magazine and, you know, I had the muscle mass, but my problem was I, I simply just carry a little bit more fat tissue on me. And so I was doing one of those bad diets that I later learned was bad for me, but it started to work, but at what cost? And for me, the cost was my energy. I, I felt absolutely exhausted at that low of a body fat percentage. Didn't feel natural, didn't sleep well, and I didn't have the energy to actually go and do the exercise that I knew I needed to do. And so when I learned that it was going to be at that high of a cost for me to stay that lean, not worth it. It's not worth it to me. I think 
your paying attention to your sleeping cycle is really important. People oftentimes tend to be focused on the aesthetics and obviously the visual, what you can see or even what the numbers say, right? But I think that how you're sleeping is probably one of the, if not the most important thing that you can focus on. It's obviously so important for our long-term health, but when I mentioned about having to get back up a little bit more in body fat and weight, it's because my sleeping started to suffer. And as you said, I was a little too stressed for a little too long, realizing that getting to a higher athletic goal sometimes means that it's going to be a little less healthy for you for a few weeks. And But long-term health, I need to get back to those basics. And my sleeping started getting better again. That's when I kind of knew that I was rebooting. And of course, that's where I get back to my sort of normalized weight again as well. And you start to just face less resistance. Like everything that you're doing just becomes more natural and easy where whereas when you're pushing that envelope constantly, you just feel like everything is such a struggle. So those were some great questions, guys. Thank you so much for sending those in because those all came from you and keep it coming. You can email us your questions at pendolaproject at gmail.com and keep in mind that while we do have a good grip on these things, Everything that we talk about here on this podcast, it's always up for interpretation, and we try and caution you against those people who are spewing these absolutes like, this worked for me, it's going to work for you. Please be very careful with that type of advice. We really do our best to say, yes, these are some general rules. You may be different. Maybe you had a different example, and that's great too. Let us know about your case, and maybe we can even learn ourselves from you. So again, you are welcome to email us as well, and we'd love to hear from you. And hey, we have an announcement. We are going to switch up the format of when we publish these episodes. We want to give you more time to actually digest the content, and so... We have decided we will maintain Monday Motivation, obviously releasing every Monday. And then we're going to push our feature episode from Wednesdays to Thursdays. Hopefully that will get you a little bit closer to your weekend. You can focus more on the content because those episodes, Matt, are typically longer. And we want to give you enough time, not only after the Monday Motivation, but enough time where you have some free time to digest a little bit better. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening.